I just want to say, as Jeff has already said, as Blair prayed, how thankful I am um, for all the, the men and women who have died defending our nation. It's such a blessing, praise God, uh, for, the, for the physical and national blessing of freedom because of what our military does. And this, the whole sermon, it's the theme of our sermon, as, as God would providentially see it, that uh, he gives us freedom. He secures our freedom because of what he's done, because of his death and his resurrection. And so we're going to continue to work our way uh, through this letter that was written to relatively new converts in a region um, of called Galatia. And the theme of the whole book of Galatians, you've been hearing it if you've uh, been coming every week, is that Paul, the guy writing the letter, is trying to undo what these false teachers have been teaching and trying to influence these new converts uh, about their faith. Namely, that they still have to uh, subject themselves to circumcision. So I'm not going to be... Um, I'm not going to be talking about that the whole entire time, but it's, that's what it's for. That's what the whole letter is about. Instead of being taught that trusting in Jesus alone is enough, they were being taught that trusting in Jesus alone is not quite enough. And as Blair just uh, illustrated with the picture, that one little thing can get them way off. So let's read uh, our text. It's in Galatians 5, 7 through 15. You can read it in your own Bible. Or in a, uh, if you want to get a pew Bible out of the pew in front of you, it's page 975, or you can look at it behind me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So hear his word beginning with verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would illumine our minds, Holy Spirit, and enable us to fully understand this uh, word. We thank you that you've given us this word in English, in our own language that we can read. We thank you, Lord, that you're here with us. And we pray that you would enable us to get it, to understand what it is that you're teaching us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wrestled with, uh, with not doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. A few weeks ago, I was able to boast about my wife 
uh, without getting her permission, which I won't do that anymore, about her being a ballerina during the children's uh, service. Up here, I brought a, a, a picture of her. And uh, I want to tell you something about me that actually fits uh, with the message. I, um, I used to run track when I was in high school, believe it or not. I ran track. I ran the hurdles. I, I ran the half mile. I long jumped. Uh, and in the 120 hurdles, I was undefeated uh, my senior year of high school, the whole year, until it got up to the, the, the finals where the top three winners in the South State meet, which would have been me in the South State, would, they, they have a, a meet to determine who the top three are in both halves of the state. And in that meet to determine if I got to go to North State, uh, on the fourth hurdle, uh, the guy next to me tripped and knocked his hurdle into my lane. And I, I gracefully tumbled uh, down this, what they call a red dog track. For you older folks that remember the little red rocks that got all in my knees and hurt my back pretty bad. And I crawled off the, the track. And I, I remember as I, was, as I was crawling, I just I looked down at the, at the guys going across the finish line and everybody cheering. And that was my last race in high school. I, I'd been running 40 miles a week. Uh, for 10 months, I had done a lot of training, and I, I thought that was it. And, um, and so I just said, thank you, Lord, so much for this. Uh, no, as you can imagine, I was, I was pretty devastated. Um, the officials, because I, I had never lost that year, the officials decided to let me go to the state meet anyway. So that, that was great. But when I read this about you were running well, who hindered you? I, I thought about uh, this guy from Gulfport, Mississippi that hindered me. And the, the analogy breaks down uh, in that I didn't accept. I didn't embrace him coming and, and tripping me up. I, I didn't give him permission to do that. Whereas these new converts, in essence, did that. They subjected themselves to hearing these false teachers. They heard things with their ears that they knew um, they should have known was not from the Lord, and then they eventually succumbed to it. The good news is I got a second chance, and these uh, Galatians got a second chance also. And there's at least three specific truths in this passage that are twisted into lies. And so I'm going to sort of go through those three uh, and and then we'll make some application at the end. The first uh, truth regarding their faith was being twisted into a lie. And then the truth regarding Paul's message was being twisted into a lie. And then their very freedom was being twisted so that they wouldn't have freedom. So it starts out, Paul begins writing to his precious brothers and sisters in Christ, sort of boasting on them, saying, you have been running well and he's saying that, obviously, because he's evidenced a life change from what they learned. They were obviously growing in their faith because they were putting to practice what they had learned. But of late, they had been knocked off track by someone who hindered them from obeying the truth. And in 8 and 9, he reminds them that they had been persuaded by someone other than God and to believe a falsehood, a.k.a. a lie not God's truth. And while it seemed like a small, insignificant thing, they weren't told to not believe in Jesus. They were just told that believe in Jesus, but you still need to obey this law. Uh, it seems not, uh, it, it seemed insignificant, but in actuality, 
it was anything but insignificant. It was the difference between life and death, literally. Uh, I heard just this week on the Today Show, I heard that former President George Bush, least favorite word is literally. He says that in America nowadays, everybody says, you know, literally about, about everything. You know, mom, I don't want to go to that restaurant. It's literally a million miles away. Well, it's, it's not a million miles away. But I'm not exaggerating uh, when I say that this little tiny belief system fault uh, meant the difference between life and death. And God's word increasingly amazes me the older I get. Uh, this shortest sentence in this pericope is one of the deepest truths. It, it's, it's something small making a big difference. This one little verse nine, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So providentially, this little sentence, sentence impacts this entire passage. It's teaching that accepting even a little false teaching impacts one's entire life. And in a lot of places in the New Testament, they talk about leaven or what we would call yeast. And with the idea that a, a tiny amount of yeast is able to ferment a, a big chunk of dough, uh, a big, large amount of dough. And one aspect of the Jews' belief system is that they must be circumcised in order to be in right standing with God. But Jeff preached from Galatians 5, uh, 4, prior to our passage, uh, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. And that phrase, you who would be justified by the law, that is, as he's speaking to them and as I'm speaking to you, if you're determined to cling to the law, to be in right standing with God, thinking you must do that in order to be justified, to be in right standing, you will be severed from Christ. That is completely cut off. And to be completely cut off from Christ is to be dead. So this isn't some little theological nuance that's just slightly off track. This is a very, very uh, important principle. And it's the exact same principle as it was 2,000 years ago for, for you and me. If we're determined, listen to this, if you're determined that your own effort is what will make him love you, that scurrying to, to curry favor with the king, as it were, is what will get you in good standing, the Bible teaches you are severed from Christ. And that sounds so harsh, doesn't it? That sounds so hard. It's like, my goodness, I believe in Jesus. I'm trying to do these good things to get in good with Jesus. But see, what it communicates to our Lord God is that his crucifixion wasn't quite enough to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, but he needs to depend on little people uh, to, to do to have effort to cause him uh, to love us. It struck me that this, this little human persuader, whoever this false teacher was, we don't know if it was one or if it was several, um, but it, it struck me that the one who's troubling them persuades them with a message that is, is poisonous, even deadly. Um, 
He persuaded them to trade the truth for a lie, to trade freedom from the law to bondage to the law. And notice in verse 10, he didn't write, I have confidence that you'll take no other view. If you read through it, that's what it seems like right at first. But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, I have confidence in the Lord. Because while Paul wants to encourage these young believers, he knows better than to trust, uh, to put his confidence in fallen mankind. He knows his own heart. And so he says, uh, he, he trusts in the Lord. He knows only the Lord's grace and power, that it's the Lord's alone who justifies and sanctifies. That is, he saves us and he sustains us. We just sang that in one of the songs uh, a few minutes ago. And you say, wait a minute. I've heard that he saves us, but then we get on the treadmill and, and start behaving for his glory. And we do if we love him and if we're truly saved. The problem is that has to be an evidence, an outgrowth of him saving us. We would never do good things, even in sanctification, if he didn't initiate it in the first place. John 14 Six says it's nothing but Christ. It says that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Nothing else. Nothing else. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. That old song, every time I try to do this, I mess it up. But isn't it uh, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I clean. Well, that nothing in my hands I bring is, is believers singing, we, we got nothing to bring to the table. The little widgets of righteousness we try to produce are, are just trash. They're, they're nothing as far as getting us in right standing with the Lord because everything's been done uh, by our precious Lord. In our Sunday school class, we're studying the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, different points of Calvinism, and one of them is the perseverance of the saints. And I couldn't help but see in this verse 10, there's a perfect example of it that uh, Paul is, is goading them to trust in the Lord and not, not take the bait because, and then it says, God will see them through. Um, I'm pausing for a second to make sure I didn't get my pages messed up. Yeah, I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view. That is, God will see them through to the end. He'll see us through to the end. We waffle, we flaw, we're faulty, um, we're wishy-washy, but God is, will see us through to the finish line. No matter who, who or what cuts in on us and bumps us, off track. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, it says in Romans 8. I just want to mention too in verse 10 before I move to the second part, this bearing the penalty. It should send shivers up the spine of anybody uh, who teaches a different gospel than the one that's in the Bible because their penalty will be treacherous. Jesus himself said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus himself, sweet Jesus himself said, whatever penalty they're going to get, 
It's going to be a lot worse than if they had a millstone around their neck and they drowned in the depth of the sea. Because our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a jealous God for his own glory. So not only was the false teaching aimed at twisting their faith, but second, the truth of Paul's message was also twisted. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? So Paul's defending himself against gossip that had come up that he had been preaching this, which is incredibly foolish because that's what the whole book of Galatians is about, is the opposite of that. But yet these liars were teaching these young converts that he's still doing it, so what's, what's the problem? He's still preaching circumcision. And that, of course, was not what he was doing. And we got to remember that he was, had been a, a Paul, that is, had been a, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, he was a devout, card-carrying Jew. He himself, he described himself as to legalistic righteousness, faultless. And so that's how he was before, though. That was before he literally, there's that word again, he literally got knocked off a horse by God and saved by God. Not because he was a religious guy obeying all the rules, but despite the fact that he was religious. So not only is the central message a lie, but their lies about Paul should have told them that these people were like ravenous wolves dressed like sheep. Uh, they wouldn't be just merely bumped off track, but they would wind up on death row according to the teaching of the Bible if they believed in that one little thing. And you have to ask yourself why someone like Pastor Jeff with a, a doctor of ministry degree, he's been in ministry 25 years, why Jeff and me and all the elders would want to say these things over and over and over for 12 weeks or however many weeks. It's because you and I, saved people and unsaved people, fight this battle all the time about currying favor. You know you do. I know I do. Um, verse 11 talks about the offense of the cross. And the message of the cross was revolting to some of these Jews. The thought that the Messiah would be gored on a cross to begin with is, is, is not their idea of a Messiah. And that only his blood was the cleanser. Only his blood on them was the only sacrifice that could make them clean was such a such a repulsive thing. And so that's why he's saying um, the offense of the cross, if, if he was doing that, the offense of the cross would be removed. People hate being told that they can only get saved by Jesus's blood. People hated that back then, 2,000 years ago. People hate it today. There's probably people in the sanctuary that hate that because we want to do something. We want to do something. It's just in us. We want to be in control. All of mankind is hard-headed. We're dying to do something, to earn his favor so he'll save us. And it doesn't work that way. John 6 says, what must we do to be doing the works of God? These, these men asked Jesus. What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him, in him whom he has sent. What works? They're saying, what works? I can see them with their little 
stylus and their papyrus ready? What works must we do? Let me make a list. He said, you don't need to be worrying about works. The main work you need to remember is to believe in him who sent. And then verse 12 sort of gets your attention, doesn't it? I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Uh, I bet more eyebrows have been raised uh, reading that verse than most other verses. William Hendrickson, as a commentator, takes a stab at Paul's intent. I want to read this to you. He says, since the Judaizers who are upsetting the Galatians believe a little physical mutilation is of spiritual value, let them be consistent and cut away more radically. Let them go all the way and castrate themselves. And if this statement is what it appears to be, a righteous anger, which is what I think it is, the greatest missionary of all time has righteous anger, but for God's gospel, for the truth to go forth, so be it. And think about it, we should say, instead of shame on you, Paul, for writing such a harsh, terse, unkind comment, we should probably be saying to ourselves, shame on me for not being a more vocal witness in a world where the gospel, the truth is trampled on. Before you get home, you'll hear it trampled on probably today. It's a great quote that Henderson also said this. He said, our own cheeks have lost the ability to glow with righteous indignation. So their faith had been twisted. Paul's message has been twisted. Third and finally, isn't that sweet music when you hear a pastor say third and finally at 1025? Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> third and finally, the truth about their freedom and our freedom was twisted into a lie. So read this. This is, the, the, this is great. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. When I was a kid, I used to love to, to skip rocks or shells. Uh, across any body of water, river, lake, pond. I did it all the time. I would love to count. That time I got 14. That time I got none. Because it seems like you'd throw it the same way and it would just dive. But anyway, you'd see the little skip marks. All of you have seen that. This is, is so rich. I, I'm only gonna just barely just, just skip across the top uh, of this. Jeff was thinking, you know, we could do three sermons just on those on those three verses. Um, but freedom is what you are called to. I've had, I don't know how many people, I, I want to say hundreds, maybe not that many, through the years say, I'm trying to figure out what I'm called to, Pastor Tim. And, and usually it comes back to, you know, where you're called to read your word, the word, and you're called to pray. You know, have you been doing that? Oh, well, you missed your calling. Or, I mean, jokingly, I tell them that. And, and here it's saying, 
you know, we're called to freedom. Whatever he calls us to do, he calls us to freedom, but not to give us license. I was a, a youth director, as most of you know, for eight or nine years. And every year there would be one teenager, you'd see the light come on and he'd go, wait a minute. So you're telling me that he's, gonna, he's already forgiven me for the sins that I'm going to commit four months from now? Is that, is that what you're saying, Tim? I'm like, that is what I'm saying. And they're thinking, oh, yeah. That's not what this is teaching. It's, it's not to, to bite each other, gossip against each other, do all manner of things. Um, Keep in mind as we're reading this that he's not writing this to some public middle school in the Bronx. He's writing this to the church. He's writing this to people who have been saved, to people who are eating together in each other's homes and and studying the word every week. I tried to imagine this week, Paul, I I have a, uh, it doesn't matter, I was going to say a photograph, but I I tried to, to picture this bulldog of a missionary, Paul, who was patient and loving and kind, but feisty and fiery and, and harsh and truthful and put God's word way above people pleasing in every single case. And I just picture him going, how many different ways do I have to tell you before you get it? Brothers, you see how, is that what's up there right now? Is the word brothers anywhere up there? Yeah, the very first 13. I'm seeing him going, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Like he calmed himself down. Well, first of all, he wasn't shouting like that. He was writing. But I feel like he was, he was probably trying to soften the blow of how terse he was being with him, with them. Telling them not to verbally rip each other apart, but to use their newfound freedom to love each other, to serve each other. Here's the take-home point of the whole message. This is what Paul was teaching. If you're a believer listening to me right now or them then as they were reading what he was writing, if you're a believer, you are bound to Christ and you are free to love and serve Christ and others. You are no longer free to love and serve yourself. That's the beauty of what the gospel does. It frees us from being bound to ourselves to love and serve ourself. I'm about one thousandth as mature in my faith as I should be. And uh, quite often, like almost all the time, I love and serve myself more than I love and serve others. But I will tell you, uh, now that I've, I've hit the 30-year-old mark, now that I'm, I'm that old, I have begun to experience the, the joy, the seeming paradox of the freedom to be able to love and serve people. That in the past, even in my ministry, even here in Virginia before I moved to this state, and after I got here, um, I've, I've learned the freedom of being able to serve each other. 
and love each other. And that's what this passage is about, is to be free in Christ, to be bound to him so we're free to love and serve uh, each other. There's, to most unregenerate minds, that phrase, free to serve, is just not logical. It's like enjoy, it's like saying enjoy the pain. It just doesn't make sense. If you're free, why would you, why would you spend your freedom serving someone else? Uh, just last night, there's a, a young couple um, moving here, and they were they are here now, but they were supposed to arrive last night in Norfolk, uh, five or six o'clock last night, and about six or seven of our people were going to give up their Saturday, beautiful weather, their Memorial Day Saturday, and go out and help these people move. Listen, who they didn't know. Most of the ones coming had never seen them before or talked to them. Now ask yourself, just take a deep breath and ask yourself, what, what's in it for them? What, what's in it for those guys to go do that? Why would they do that? They're not trying to impress me. They're not trying to impress those people. It didn't happen last night. Hopefully it's going to happen today at 1 o'clock. A bunch of them are still going over there today because they didn't make it here until a couple of hours ago. But... The point is, they were going to go to Norfolk just before dark, which is where everybody wants to be Saturday night, downtown Norfolk, just before dark. I know everybody's clamoring to go there anyway, but and trying to park and do a U-Haul truck and all that, it just, it encouraged me so much that these men were willing to go do that. And to use a parallel example from the text, when Paul's saying, use this freedom to love and serve each other, not to backbite each other. What if they said to themselves, what if they thought, what kind of imbecile arrives in Norfolk, downtown Norfolk at six o'clock on Saturday night and want people to come help them move? You know, that was really poor planning, wasn't it? But in actuality, if you knew all the facts, it was not at all poor planning. It had nothing to do with poor planning. But people who are fighters and biters and devourers, it's hard to say, like me, we don't let a little thing like facts get in the way of us bad-mouthing people. So, back to the text. These guys were so worried about keeping the whole law, and Paul is saying in verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love. The Ten Commandments, all, they're a summary that is, sums up to loving God and loving others. If they say, well, I keep the law, I, I keep the law. If you say, well, so you keep the law of not stealing something, so how, how are you showing love in that exactly? I think we're on pretty safe ground to assume that that Paul didn't just randomly bring up this backbiting thing. They, there was something going on in the church, some serious uh, gossip and slander and verbal biting of the brothers and sisters. Um, we can only speculate why he didn't just say gossiping and slandering, why he said biting and devouring. But I, I, would, I would suggest it's just a, a matter of uh, intensity. It was a, 
He was emphasizing it. If somebody said, is it raining outside? If it's flooding, you say it's flooding. You don't just say it's raining. It's raining cats and dogs. And I think that's why he, he said that. One writer noted that the word for being, uh, for biting here is vicious. It's not like biting into a, a ham sandwich. It's a ferocious bite. This same guy went on to say if, if two cats were biting and fighting like they were, when they finished the fight, they would have no fur left on their bodies. I thought, man, that's a pretty vicious fight. So finally, I just want to offer a few practical ways. You've been getting pounded with this works, grace, theology for weeks and weeks. Uh, we need to be able to recognize in ourselves when we're biting and devouring. And we need to be able to identify ways that we can observe and serve, ways that we can love others. Uh, these are things that I've heard myself or someone else say uh, at my house or in the work somewhere else or here at church. And these examples aren't meant to be funny. Those of you that know me know I love to, to be funny. This isn't meant to be funny. Um, I hope you won't laugh. I hope if you do laugh, it's because you're ashamed uh, that you have done this like, like I have. Uh, so here, here's just some examples of things I've heard people say. I wonder if he, or, or I've said them. I wonder if he practices what he's preaching or teaching. I cannot stand this song. Somebody leans over and whispers, I cannot stand this song. Don't you think he's kind of a weird person? What do you, kind of a weird person, that guy. Why would you wear that to church? I've made people in my family angry when I've told them that. This is a, a really common one. That was just stupid. Did you hear what they just said? That was stupid. She thinks she knows it all when it comes to the Bible. The attention always has to be on them, doesn't it? So all those things sound like more like nibbling, right? More like just kind of munching, not like biting and devouring. But what I'm here to tell you is that's how divisiveness rules. That's how churches don't grow. That's how we don't grow. I was talking to Jeff just before church this morning about some of you have heard of Sonship, uh, the course you can go through Sonship, gospel saturated, and there's a, a thing in there called the tongue assignment, where for one week you pray and pray and pray that God would enable you to try as hard as you can for one week to never slander anybody, to never defend yourself, and to never boast for just one week. And then the next week you come back and talk about how, how well you did. And it just goes to show that what it says in James about our tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. In James it says the tongue is a world of iniquity. You can look, whatever translation you read, that's what it'll say. It's something that the tongue is a world of iniquity. So many of you are free to serve. Many of you have helped each other in this church in so many ways. And so I said all this negative stuff about biting. I want to I finish up with just a call to you, all of you who serve, all of you who 
who serve less frequently than others, who love and serve. That, that's the title of the whole message, that we're free to serve and to love. I'm just going to give some examples of, of service happening here at the church. Our, our English as a Foreign Language Ministry is uh, the people that work there could give you many, many examples of how the people who come feel genuinely loved and served. At our preschool, the, the, the parents of the children feel loved and served. Praise God for that. There's a helping hands ministry here at our church that I don't know, I don't think Rachel Ferrarini's in here right now, but this will be one of her few uh, remaining Sundays. She's been heading up this helping hands ministry, which makes sure that people that just had a baby or if they're in the hospital, they get some meals. And uh, Rachel Ann has a, a, a son named Seth who, who takes 24-hour care. He's in a wheelchair all the time, and she still serves the church and wouldn't let me take it from her and give it to somebody else because she wants to be in charge of this helping hands ministry. A few of our women rotate giving a ride to somebody who doesn't have a car every week so that that person can come to church and serve. They're serving her to enable her to serve. Some of you work tirelessly outside on, on our, our, the plant life and the meditation garden, all the, the flowers uh, out there. Some folks uh, in our community group helped Dina and, and me a few weeks ago. Like nine or ten people came over and just worked like maniacs in our backyard helping us, helping us put up a fence back there. People who aren't even members of our church uh, serve our church all the time, take meals to people, do all sorts of things. They're not even members of our church. It's an expression of the freedom they enjoy by being bound to Christ, and it's, expression, it's an expression of their thankfulness to God for how he has served them. That's what goads us to service. What's in it for them? You've got to ask yourself that. It's, it's countercultural. There's nothing in it for them except to love and serve. It's because they're free to do it. Think about Jesus himself, who the magnificent, white-hot, resplendent glory of Jesus, stooping in his human form, to voluntarily wash the feet, the filthy feet of some of his disciples. What was in it for him to do that? You know what was in it for him? That one word, that one word, love. His glory. And yeah, he was showing his disciples how to serve. But we serve and love a God who has loved and served us infinitely more than we could ever, than we can ever serve him. Let's pray and ask him to help us love him and love others, serve him and serve others. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to seek and to serve and to save the lost. Thank you, Lord, that you serve to the point of death. Have mercy on us, Lord. Help us to believe in you. Help us to trust in you and your goodness to us, what you've already done. Help us to love you 
and serve you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.